Hello and a very warm welcome to No One Gets Out of Here Alive. My name is Holly Leon Hawke and I will be taking you on a gentle, sometimes humorous and sometimes challenging meander through the myths, beliefs and ideas around all things end of and after life. Each week you will get to hear what various people's random thoughts are on the big question, what is the meaning of life? If you would like to share your thoughts, please send your voice clips in to me via WhatsApp and I'll do my very best to include them. Also each week there will be a section called Give the Flowers Now, which was inspired by my darling maternal grandfather, Roderick George Balkum, who would say, don't leave it until the funeral to send flowers. Send people flowers now, telling them what they mean to you and how they have touched your lives. And I would love to hear from you. So if you have some flowers that you would like to send someone, please send me your voice clip telling me who it is and how they have touched your lives along with your name, email address and the name and home address of the person you are sending your flowers to. For each person who is featured, I will send some beautiful flowers to that person on your behalf. In this series of podcasts, I will be chatting with a whole range of guests from sound artists, willow weavers through to end-of-life doulas and people who have had near-death experiences to help give you a more holistic, rounded view. It just may be a few new possibilities of how the inevitable can be approached because remember no one not even you gets out of here alive hello and a very warm welcome today i have with me david ditchfield David is an NDE-inspired artist, composer, near-death experiencer and author. A few years ago, David was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. As a surgeon's fought to save his life, he had a profound near-death experience. When he woke up in hospital, he found he had acquired astonishing new abilities. The first, an ability to create dramatic paintings of what he'd seen in the afterlife, the second, the ability to compose classical music, despite being unable to read or write any musical notation to this day. His debut symphony premiered at a sellout orchestral concert to a standing ovation. He has since composed further classical works, also premiered at sellout performances and continues to paint and compose. His book Shine On tells his remarkable story. Now, I first met David when he came to facilitate at a retreat I hosted in southern France a few years ago for people working with the dying. I had an incredible experience within the workshop he did with us all, and I'll share that with you later. But first, without further ado, hello, David, and so lovely to see hello, you again. <laughs> you too. Great to see you. Really Thank lovely. You along. Thank you. Um, and uh, yes, we've we've both been sort of busy getting here, haven't we? But we're just settling in and uh, making ourselves comfortable. But yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> um, remind me, David, when was your book released? It came out last year in June, June the twenty sixth. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, right in the middle of the pandemic. So yeah, which worked out fine. How have book sales gone on that? Really good, actually, really well, better than expected. So, yeah, we were we were the best selling book in, uh, in our publishers for last year's releases. So, really, we, we did, yeah. So, we're really pleased. You know, I had no idea how it was all going to 
pan out, you know, once mm. this time last year, you know, we were getting ready to, to launch it. And mm. I thought, wow, what, what's going to happen? Mm. But it was fine because, um, first of all, you know, we, everyone can order from Amazon, obviously, which is perfect. And, and secondly, uh, it meant that I was able to reach out to many people via doing Zoom, mm. uh, things like this. And it meant I didn't have to travel too far, mm. which was great. You know, I could go to all far corners of the world and talk to people in, uh, from the comfort of my own home mm. and uh, and not have the expense of flying. Yeah, yeah. And, and people had more time to be able to read and enjoy your book as well that's true yeah yeah and it's and i think it's i've been the feedback i've been getting is really that it's helped a lot of people mm. uh, in these times because mm. a lot of because of what's happening a lot of it's brought out a lot of fear of of, of death and made people think about it more mm. you know so so the book has has been uplifting for a lot mm. which is great mm. it's what i'd like yeah and how long ago did you start writing it Oh, that's a good question. Oh, it's a, it's a good few years back mm. when when I, I I started writing it with with a co-writer mm. because I'm dyslexic, so I never thought I'd be able to actually put this story together in 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 book form. Though I always wanted to. Mm. Um. So yeah. So there was a lot of, you know, it was it was the first book that um, either of us had written. So obviously we needed to learn our craft. But in in all fairness, we just didn't worry too much about it. Mm. We let you know, our guides, as it were, guide us forward and and, and, and let it all unfold organically. And, and uh, you know, then the rest fell into play. Of course, we had some advice and we, we were told, yeah, it'd be really good if you could put that chapter there and that one there. And thought, oh, yeah, that's good, yeah. So we, we did a lot. Well, we, a lot of it we did ourselves. We made our own decisions mm. on how we wanted it to come together. Lovely. So it's quite a few years. And it yeah. is um it is beautifully written and it's really, really engaging. And um so you very kindly um let me read it before it did even come out, didn't you? That's <laughs> so right. I, you were one of the first. <laughs> I'd had a, a riding accident and was in a bit of a bad way and it was it gosh, it was yeah, beautifully written. Really um I can't recommend it enough. So I think it would be really, really good, um, David, if you could just dive straight in and take us through in your own time what happened to you, um, you know, where you were um, before um, the NDE, the near-death experience, the accident, and et cetera, and take us on through. Okay. Well, um, uh, just before the accident itself, I'd been living in London for quite some time, for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, I was basically scraping a living by picking up manual labouring work on construction sites on a day-to-day basis. So it was all sort of cap in hand, if you, if you like, um, which is very tough because living in London is very expensive and it's very highly competitive. So it wasn't actually that good for my soul. I loved London a lot, don't get me wrong, and, I've, and I had some really fantastic friends, but a lot of those friends were really successful and they were working in in things like the music industry and stuff like that and photography. And I thought, wow, I just want to be part of all that, but I never could be. So, um, yeah, so I got to the point where I started uh, running out of money and I and I, I lost my, my flat, I lost my apartment and everything. And so my sister said, come and stay with us. So I ended up staying a couple of weeks in with her family in Cambridgeshire. And a friend had come up to meet me. I'd only met a couple of weeks prior to this and uh, – so uh, we but we just kind of got hit it off, you know. We just got this mm. real good connection. So she was with me and uh, uh, f- and staying for a few nights, and she had to get back to London. So I was ended up taking her to the station 
in uh, Huntington in Cambridgeshire. And uh, it was when I was seeing her off that my life dramatically changed because uh, I helped her with her bags onto the, onto the train car and uh, gave her a hug and a kiss mm. and said goodbye. And then my coat got trapped in the automatic closing doors. And uh, it was, uh, I wasn't going to be able to pull it free. And there was no guard on the platform to stop the train from leaving. So it edged out of that station. And then for all of a sudden, it was speeding out the station. So I lost, I lost my footing, was dragged along the platform edge. And I went between the space of the edge of the platform and, and, and the speeding train. And I got pulled and sucked under the wheels. And yeah, uh, it was very frightening and um, incredibly violent uh, experience. Uh, I, was, I was conscious throughout the whole thing. Hmm. I think that's because I went into fight or flight mode and I decided I was going to fight, you know, and uh, so I kept my my consciousness uh, throughout. Hmm. So that so that was pretty scary. Although, I mean, the, the, the sheer fact you're even alive is incredible, isn't it? And um, it is, yeah. we, we have talked before and you mentioned about something flashing through your mind just before you went under the train about a, a baby. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true. It's it's funny. Time didn't slow down, but it was like it stretched, and I and I I had time to think things through and think what I was going to do next. And I remembered seeing some footage on the news that a couple, a couple of weeks ago from that point, and uh, it was where the, the news item was a, a small child had been thrown from the third floor of a burning apartment block and landed without any injuries. Mm. And they put that down to the fact that infants don't tense up like we do as adults, you know, they remain, so they remain calm. So I decided to relax my body. I thought, just relax your whole body. And as I went under, that's what, what I did. Mm. And, uh, and I guess, I guess that had a, a lot to do with, with, with saving me, but I know that there was something a lot more at play at that point, you know, mm. far greater than me and, mm. and you and, and the yeah. train itself. You know, there was like, there was something more spiritual that was, that was, that was uh, actually protecting me from, from imminent death. And when you talk about um, time kind of stretching out, um, so not exactly slowing down, but is there any way you're able to explain that a little bit more? Because, I mean, I, yeah. I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been to have got my clothing caught in the door, the train's moving and I, I can't free myself. I sure. would All I can imagine is my mind would go blank and it, it would just, yeah. So yeah. To, to actually but think it through is incredible. It, it is incredible. But the, the, the thing is, I've also learned from this that anticipation and the thought of it happening is far more frightening than the actual reality. Yes, I was terrified, but mm. um, I, I actually saw a documentary um, by this American uh, scientist called Dr. David Eagleman, and he talked about this, and he's working on it. He said that it happens a lot with people who are like myself, who are facing death. And and they've got time. It's not like a car crash where it happens instantly, where the car comes around the corner, it's bang. You've got, like, I had time to think, wow, this is about to happen, uh, even though it was only seconds. And he said that this is what happens. He talks about a, a, a mountain climber who was, who was on the edge of a, a cliff without any ropes. And he said that for him, he said the best way to describe it is, is that if you think that the mind is looking through a, a poor quality video throughout mm. your life suddenly it goes into 35 millimeter stretched cinema screen and it was like that you can see all around you and you sense everything and you've got time it's i felt almost like 
007 in, in the Bond movies. I felt like it got signed like, like Daniel Craig when you see him when he's just about to die, but yeah. he, he's very calm and collected and manages to save himself. And it was like that without trying to, I'm not beefing myself up as being no, some no, kind no. of great hero, <laughs> yeah. but I'm just trying to use it yeah. as, a, as, a, as a sort of way of comparison that that's how it felt. I felt like I got time to say, think, right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let this kill me. What am What am I gonna do next? Yeah, I'm gonna relax. And even when 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 I was finally thrown to the ground in between the tracks and the train was still crackling on, even then I actually thought to myself, think of Daniel Craig, whatever, or or Indiana Jones. Yes. What would he do now? He would keep his head right down because I could get hit by some of the undercarriage. So I did. I laid out flat. And I was probably right, you know. Yes. If I if I tried to get up or anything, you know, yeah. I probably would have got wax, and and that would have killed me outright. That's just incredible to have the presence of mind to do that. I mean, I I had a, I went over the handlebars of my bike when I was about eight, and um, I do remember as I went over, time did seem to stretch out. It was it was very weird. I was very aware of of that, and then it just went, but it is it's. It is. It's a a bizarre phenomenon, isn't it? That happened, like you say, it does seem to happen to a lot of people who who are in um, very heightened and dangerous situations. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're under the train. You're yeah. being. Are you being thrown around as the train goes, or you literally yeah. managed oh, yeah. to? Yeah, I got I got thrown around relentlessly to to start off with. I was just I felt like I was being thrown into a, in a washing machine at full full rinse you know mm. <laughs> tossed around yeah it was but it was but it was violence as well it was mm. a very violent uh, uh, experience and but yeah. I, I felt very much like I was suddenly I was flesh and bones and this machine this train felt like a huge mechanical metal beast you know and it was mm. just like oh it was very frightening goodness me yeah. so the the uh, we've talked about this before and it's it's a lovely image of when the train finally goes and you feel brave enough to lift your head and you watch yes. the train going off into the distance, don't you? And yeah, you talk about right, seeing yeah. seeing the sky and yeah, it was a, it was a it was a February day, so it was a very cold blue sky, not a cloud. And I just remember looking up at that sky, mm. and I just felt so in touch with nature at that point because I think it was just you know obviously the relief of of mm. surviving, but after going through such darkness, you know, it's just like. The, the the human body and mind should not have to go through something like that, and mm. it's it's something that's really, you know, it, you 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 feel a sense of, of joy that you've that you that you've lived that mm. you've survived it. So mm. yeah, mm. and you remained conscious throughout the whole time you were going down that's and right, under. Yeah, okay, and yeah. so so what happened then, David? How? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the paramedics arrived really quick, actually, because there was a small hospital around the corner, so they were able to get there, and then, and they jumped down on the track, you know, cut through my clothes and stuff, and and then they they somehow managed to get me in an ambulance, which seems mad because it's a it's a crazy drop, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very deep drop, and uh, but they did, and then when I got in the back of the ambulance, uh, the doctor turned around and said, "Look, there is a hospital around the corner, but the one that's going to save you is a good 20, 25 minute drive. Can you hang on?" I said, "Yeah." So it was very much a case of them saying, you know, stay with us, David, mm. you know, because uh, you know, I was losing a lot of blood, you know, mm. and my left arm had been severed. So, um, so there was a lot of blood loss. And so, it, but I, I, I was, I was 
keen to remain conscious because I knew that that was imperative. And then I arrived at the hospital itself and there was a whole team of medics all waiting for me there and doctors and nurses and they, 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 they're in this big semicircle and they just, wow, you know, I was straight in there and they got to work on me. And even then I thought I, it's not all over yet because I could hear fear in their voices. I couldn't understand what they were saying because it was all medical uh, talk, you know. Um, my family arrived. They were there really quick. Again, time seemed really odd. I thought, wow, how did they get here? You know, how mm. did they know? But they were there, and um, my mother was in tears, you know, and, and, and that stuff. And I just felt, and I was going, Mom, I'm so sorry. So it's me bringing trouble to this family, you know, all the dramas. <laughs> and of course, he said, it's not, don't, it's not your fault, which it wasn't my fault, no. of course, but you know, but it's that's that gives you a picture of how I saw myself mm. up until this point that I've, I never, I've, I felt like I was like a lot of people that I didn't fit in and mm. I was a failure in life, you know. Mm. There was a lot of that there yeah. really before. Yeah. So you're in hospital. Yeah. And then you end up popping out of your body. I do, indeed, yeah. <laughs> Not many people I, um, can like, say, the, claim that, the, can they? <laughs> body popping. Yeah, body popping. Yeah, to the highest extreme. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I left my body. Um, I, I suddenly went from all that drama and all the pain and the agony and, mm. and, the, and the high tension to uh, suddenly in, in a really peaceful place, in a really peaceful, darkened place, but not a foreboding darkness. It was a very beautiful, calm darkness. Mm -hmm. And um, I just looked around me to see where I was and what was going on. And the first thing I noticed were all these beautiful colours that were slowly pulsating all around me, like different orbs of, of yellows and ambers and greens and orange and stuff. And I, they were like little landing lights, you know, at an airport. And I just felt comforted mm. by this. Yeah. Because I figured, you know, straight away that, you know, you know, I thought, is this it? Is this, have I died? Is this the, is this, is this it? You know, but I didn't struggle with it. I didn't fight it. Mm. I know that I've obviously read cases since or heard that some people do yeah. fight it and uh, resist it. But it's not like I wanted to die, but it was a, it was a far better place than where I had just been. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I was kind of still keen to see what was going on. And I, so I looked around me and I noticed that I was no longer on the hospital trolley, but I was now laid out on what appeared to be a, a like a big sort of slate, huge rock. It was like a, a medieval altar is the way I always mm. describe it. That's what it looked like. And um, it felt incredibly comfortable to be laid out on. And I noticed I was no longer clothed, but that didn't matter. I was still comfortable. And I was just covered in this blue cloth. It was like a sort of satin sheet, which kind of kept me comforted. And, and uh, I looked to check my body and uh, all my wounds and everything was fine. Everything was just in place. There was not a single scratch or bruise. And uh, so that was really lovely. And uh, I laid back my head and, and relaxed in this peaceful sort of sphere, as it were. And I looked up and I saw these three grids of... of uh, of light that would suddenly come in above my head. Mm. And it was like a beautiful white intense light coming from these grids. And they were like symmetrical. And I couldn't take my gaze away from that light because it was just so comforting. It was just making me feel relaxed. And I felt like, again, there was a healing energy coming from this light that was making me feel, wow, this is good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I was like bathing in this yeah. beauty, you know. Yeah. And then suddenly I felt the presence of somebody that was there. You know, you can sense when somebody's there, can't you? And, and I, I, so I lifted my head and, and 
there was. There was a person who stood at my feet, um, this beautiful androgynous being uh, with pure white blonde hair and the skin that was radiating light from, from within. Uh, and he or she was just wearing like a, a, a simple contemporary black T-shirt. And, um, and I thought I, was, I, I felt familiar with this person. Mm. I knew their face. I thought, I know you, don't I? Where do I know you from, you know? And I said that out loud and uh, this person just grinned at me with a reassuring mm. grin and said nothing. Uh, but I felt safe and comfortable with mm. this person. I felt like this, this was my guardian. Mm. You know, this was my, my, you know, the keeper to my soul almost, you know. So wow. I felt good about this. Do you, yeah, do you think they, they were your guardian angel? Yes. 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 Um, I. I'd say, I mean, everybody uses different phrases, don't they? Um, you know. I, but I certainly do. And I. And I also feel, feel like it was uh, my higher self as well, my higher consciousness, because mm. because there was because there was this familiar familiarity in this person's face, mm. and I felt like I'd known he or she for not only my whole life, but my you know previous past lives maybe or whatever there was a sense of mm. that there this person had been with me throughout all my journeys so yeah there was a very strong connection you know um zoe who was on the retreat with us i was talking to her the yes, other day and she was talking about how uh, she believes our guardian angels are uh are our higher selves and oh great yeah that was that's quite interesting because i've never really considered that before but and that's yeah that's quite quite a thought isn't it but you weren't it wasn't just one was it you had no, and there was there a few a, more yeah. turned up at the scene yes and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they were I didn't actually feel that I the same familiarity with them actually mm. I didn't feel like I knew them and they were quite interesting you know, there were two female uh, forms and there were, it's on either side of me my left my left and right and uh, the, the one was um let me just move the phone because I think it's causing a bit of interference um the 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 the, the lady or female to my to my right was very sort of kind of uh, I suppose European um, looking with a simple brown dress on with long brown hair, and the girl to my left was more sort of uh, Asian uh, Indian or American Indian in mm. appearance, and she had like a, a more traditional sort of creamy white dress on, mm. and they had their hands just hovering over my body. They, they were just going over every sort of part of my body, every contour. Like they were healing because the energy that was coming from their hands was just really powerful. It just felt really, it was a similar energy that was coming from those grids of light, but it was obviously more intense now. Mm. And I felt like they were healing me from the trauma that I'd just mm. been through, healing my body, the, uh, the, the, the whole shakeup of it all. But I also felt that they were, they, they were healing all the wounds, the emotional wounds that I carried throughout my, you know, my mm. life. And, you know, and they were healing all those. The, the ones that we all carry, you know, mm. baggage, as baggage as we call it, you know, and, yeah. and they were just peeling off all the layers of all that, um, you know, sort of hurt and oppression and guilt. Yes. <laughs> all of that went, yeah. you know, so it was great. Beautiful. And now it's time for today's Meaning of Life. And today it is from my darling friend and teacher, Zoe Toussaint Winchcombe, who is a transformational therapist. Oh, Holly, the meaning of life to me is love, sharing, caring and community. Working together, cooperating, respecting 
each other's decisions, choices, lifestyles. I guess there's acceptance woven into that as well. Love, caring, sharing, and community. <laughs> Let's live that way, darling friend. I love you. So that's the end of part one. Don't forget to join us next week for part two. I would like to say a very big thank you for being brave enough to dare to listen to a podcast that talks about something we, as a nation, tend to prefer. Doesn't exist, doesn't apply to our lives. But no, it does. No one gets out of here alive. And being more aware and engaged helps us all to have a more positive experience when the time does come to either us or our family, friends and pets. If you'd like to subscribe, please visit www.hollyleonhawk.com. 